Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Uh, no more tricks, just nothing but treats from the New Orleans Saints yesterday as they finally snap their losing skid and finally play a complete football game. What? The defense looks good? It shut down the Raiders' offense, a top 10 offense in the NFL. It actually got a pass rush. It forced some turnovers. The offense didn't look pedestrian. What? I mean, with the exception of a Will Lutz missed field goal, it was a pretty dominant performance by the New Orleans Saints yesterday. Good morning. Happy Halloween. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and soon-to-be-bearded one, Raymond Parts III. I'm joined inside the studios by Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nope, it's Hannah Five Names. we got a great show lined up for you here today. Jeff Palermo will join us at 7.30. LSU's coming off the bye. It's time for LSU Bama Week. We'll kick it off with our buddy Jeff Palermo. And at 8.30, TJ Jones, State of the Saints podcast host, will join us to recap the Saints' big win yesterday over the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll also touch on the Meanies Cowboys. The World Series knotted up at 1-1, heading into tonight's Game 3 right here on the game. And we'll even touch on a little New Orleans Pelicans for you as well. Of course, we have a special poll question of the day, which we will unveil Typically, we only do the foodie poll questions on Wednesdays, but this was inspired by one of our listeners who made the recommendation. That's Ralph Bergeron. He stepped up, said, hey, I got a good one for (laughs) y'all. So we'll be unveiling that as well since it is Halloween. Love to hear from you. You know that always. Hotline is... 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. And let's start off today talking about the New Orleans Saints. Alvin Kamara finally got his touchdowns. They called a good game. Kamara was involved. Taysom Hill was involved. Still no Mike Thomas. Still no Jarvis Landry. Still didn't matter. Offensively, they were able to move the ball. Offensively, they were able to get the job done. Once again, Andy Dalton, not great, but doesn't need to be. You just need to get the ball in the hands of Kamara 
Taysom Hill. That's that's what really what you need to do. But it was defense that shined the brightest yesterday. Pitched themselves a shutout. The Las Vegas Raiders with Derek Carr and Devontae Adams didn't run a play past the 50-yard line until 3.30 to go in the game. I'll say it again. The Las Vegas Raiders, who had a top-10 offense heading into Sunday's matchup inside the Caesar Superdome, did not run a play, an offensive play, past the 50-yard line until about 3.30 left to go in the ballgame. Devontae Adams, one catch for like three yards. That was it. A dominant performance by the Saints defense. They got, finally, pressure on the quarterback. Everyone stepped up and contributed. Well, once again, on offense, there was no Michael Thomas. There was no Jarvis Landry. On defense, you still didn't have Lattimore. He didn't play in this ballgame. So, to have him down and to have a top 10 offense come into the Caesar Superdome and you still didn't have your best cornerback to win 24 to nothing, immensely impressive. They held Carr to 15 of 26 passing. He only threw 101 yards. That was it. 101 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. They sacked him three different times. Josh Jacobs, who had been tearing up the NFL running the football, probably the best running back in the game the last three weeks. That wasn't an issue either. Ten carries for only 43 yards. They held the Raiders to 13 carries to 38 yards. They took away the running game. They forced the Raiders to go to the passing game, and they shut that down as well. Ton of punts in this ball game. And the Saints just got after it, man. Devontae Adams, one catch for three yards. He was targeted five times. Outstanding. Pete Werner playing at a, I'll say it. We've been saying that he's been playing at a great level all season long. He led the team in tackles yesterday with 11, including seven solo. The guy's playing like an all-pro. Now he's playing alongside Demario Davis, but he's playing like an all-pro. Paulson Adebo had a nice bounce-back game. He's dealing with that injury. Looked bad the week before. He had a pass deflection. Tyron Matthew had himself two pass deflections and an interception. He actually looked like he wanted to be there. Marcus Davenport made plays. Peyton Turner got himself a sack. Two of them, in fact. A guy that's been missing in action for, I don't know, the first two years of his career. Everyone that needed to step up yesterday did. Hayden Turner, Paulson Adebo, even Chris Harris Jr., David Onyemata. 
the Honey Badger finally had a game where he seemed interested. The only one that had a misstep yesterday was Will Lutz, who missed a chip shot field goal. Wasn't blocked anything. Straight on, just, just shanked it. But that was the one messed up by this team, 24 to nothing. Defense was lights out. Andy Dalton was immensely efficient offensively. 22 of 30 for 229, two touchdowns, no picks. And credit the offensive line. No sacks. Didn't give up a single sack in this game. Kamara led the team in rushing attempts, rushing yards, had a rushing touchdown. Guess what Alvin also did? He led the team in receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns. A three-touchdown, total touchdown performance by AK-41 to lead the way. And now this team is 3-5 and five overall. And you're thinking, oh, Raymond, that's still awful. You're not wrong. Yes, it is. Here's the deal. <laughs> Here's the deal. Saints play finally to their potential. And you're like, yes. Get it, who that's. Dome was rocking. Pitched a shutout. Locked down Josh Jacobs. Made Derek Carr look like he was washed. Took out Devontae Adams. Great. You look at the old standings. Atlanta leads the division now 4-4 four and four overall because they beat Carolina yesterday. But now the Saints are tied with the Tampa Bay Bucks at 3-5. They're in second place in the division and they're only a game out. That's it. That's it. The Marcus Mariota-led Atlanta Falcons lead the division. October is wrapping up today. We head to November with a 4-4 four and four Falcons team leading the NFC South, and the Saints are only a game back. That's it. That's it. We talk about... Coast and ghouls. Let me tell you about the NFC, man. Whoa, whoa. A team the Saints have actually de- defeated, by the way. The Seattle Seahawks lead the West. They're 5-3. and three. Everyone else has a non-winning record in the West. Already told you about the Dirty Birds. They're 500 team. They're 4-4. Four and four. Minnesota, who beat the Saints in a game the Saints probably should have won. They're six and one. Sneaky good. No one talks about Minnesota, but they're there six and one. The Green Bay Packers are three and five. The Tampa Bay Bucks are three and five. Ugh. Of course, Philly's still undefeated, seven and oh. By the way, we were told Jalen Hurts can't throw the football. We'll see how that worked out. But things are completely wide open. You're going to have a division champ, but you're also going to have one of the wildcard teams coming out of the East, right? Dallas Giants are now 6-2. Giants look vulnerable all of a sudden the last couple weeks. 
But after that, it's wide open. Eight wins may win this division. Going eight and nine may win the NFC South in 2022. And if that's the case, come on down. I love the Saints' chances. Because if they play anything like they did on Sunday, I know that's a big what if. (laughs) Disclaimer alert. Yes, I fully understand that's a big what if. But if they even play like 75% of what you saw yesterday, they're going to have a good chance to get to eight wins. And I think eight wins wins the division. I really do. Eight wins, maybe, maybe, maybe nine. Maybe a team actually gets above 500 and gets into nine and eight. But this feels like an eight and nine season. I wouldn't be surprised if seven and 10 wins the division. I'm I'm being honest. Seven and 10, and you get to host a playoff game. Oh, it just sounds. Oh, you kind of want to throw up a little bit in your mouth just saying it. But if you're a Saints fan, you get to win a division title. Would you take it? Would you take it if it, if you have to be seven and ten? Eight and nine, you can at least go, hey man, we're only one game off from five hundred. Seven and ten's a little bit different. Would you take it? I think you would. Would you be happy of hanging that banner inside the Superdome? Uh, probably not. But you get what you really want. It's just getting a chance, right? Getting into the playoffs is all that matters. Saints win. 24 nothing shutout victory of the Raiders. We'll talk more about that game coming up next right here on the game. You're listening to the Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Uh, the Game Clubhouse on 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou. Or you can score yourself a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. Saints get back on track. 24-0 win over the Las Vegas Raiders. Defense, three sacks. Held Devontae Adams in one catch for three yards. Bottled up Josh Jacobs. And made David Carr look awful. Defense did its job. Tyron Matthew looked interested. Actually made some plays. Wait for it. Boy, the kid, the Elante Taylor kid, he looks good, right? Looks like he's got a bright future in this defense. 24 to nothing 
is the win for the Saints as they improve to three and five and now are only a game out of the NFC South lead. The Falcons lead the division at four and four. Saints are now three and five, tied with Tampa for second place in the NFC South. And Dennis Allen talked about how his defense was challenged and how they rose to the challenge, accepted it, and got the win. You know, the, the defense was challenged this week in terms of stepping up and, and, and playing the way that we're capable of playing. I thought they came out and played with energy, passion. Um, you know, I thought they played with a swagger, which was good to see. It was good to see. It was great to see if you're a Saints fan. You get to see the old Saints defense finally arrive for the first time in a game this year. Should it have taken until week seven to see it? Should the head coach waited until week seven to challenge his defense? To go out there and play to their potential? Probably not. Imagine if he would have challenged them, say, I don't know, in week three. Do you think they would have won a couple more games? Probably so. Probably so. Hey, got it. We talked about it early in the season. Didn't seem like there was a sense of urgency from our guy, DA. Yeah, it would have been good if there was some sense of urgency. But it's never too late because the NFC is absolute garbage. So you have plenty of time to win the division, as I said, and get to eight wins. Eight and nine probably wins the division. There's a possibility seven and ten wins this division this year. Defensively, they also, look, Josh Jacobs had been the best running back in football the last three weeks. Devontae Adams is a stud number one wide receiver. Neither one of those guys were a factor in this game, and Allen talked about what was the key to stopping those two. Getting 11 hats to the ball against the runner and uh, getting up and challenging the receiver. Devontae's a hell of a player. Um, and and he's, you know, he's one of the best receivers in our league. I do think that that, uh, you know, Paulson and and Alante. I thought they answered the bell in terms of the challenge. You know, they played the way that we're, you know, accustomed to playing the game. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of uncontested looks. There wasn't a lot of free access. There was a lot of challenge at the line of scrimmage, and um, you know that takes some guts to be able to do that. You know, out there against one of the best receivers in the league. And, and so I was proud of the way that those guys competed. Yes, just so I'm clear, w- want to make sure that clarification's coming here. This was week eight, yes, of the season, but it shouldn't have taken seven weeks into the season for him to challenge his team before the week eight game. Just so we're clear. Just so we're clear. Also, just to clear it up, I do not understand sign language. Just, just in case anyone was wanting to know. Saints, 24-0 win. Defense looked great. And you know the other thing that, that stood out about this game is it's something they've struggled with throughout the season, through the first seven games, not game eight, through the first seven games, is not giving up the big pass play and the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, who had an interception, who actually made some tackles in this game, talked about not giving up the big play. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, really that's what we're capable of. You know, I think obviously, you know, we're still missing, you know, a few pieces. But, um, you know, I think when we play loose, 
you know, we play our kind of style. Um, when we're not pressing, you know, I think I think mostly that's what we're capable of. So, you know, I think this is just one game. Um, but, you know, I think it was a good one for us. It, he's right. It's just one game. It is a good start. Now, do we expect the Saints to win every game in between now and then, 24 nothing? No. Well, that's not going to happen. It's just not. But it does seem like they've taken a step in the right direction. And even if they can play to, say, 80% of what we saw on Sunday, they're going to win a lot of games. They just are. And once again, the NFC is way down. They do have a young man who, man, you can see the potential. You can see why they drafted Elante Taylor out of Tennessee. He's versatile. He's got a knack for the football. He played a lot yesterday. And the Honey Badger shared his thoughts on what the young man from Tennessee did for the team. You know, I've been around a few of them. Um, you know, I, I think he's one of them for sure. Um, but you know, I think mostly, man, it really comes down to just preparation. You know, um, you know, he's always into it. You know, throughout the week, you know, one of the first guys on the practice field. You know, we getting ready for practice, so you know, just always kind of working on his craft. So, you know, um, you know, I think in the beginning of the season, you know, we had a pretty deep, you know, DB room. You know what I mean? I think he he had that chip on his shoulder that, you know, he wanted to be able to help us. So, you know, his time has come around and. Um, you know, I think he's really showing up for us big time. When you have a young player like that and he's in the film room and he's breaking everything down like that with the vets, that's always a good sign. That always tells you how committed he really is. And I think they got a good one in Elante Taylor. Still early. Still early, but you do like what they have to see. And now the Saints are going to... Welcome in the Baltimore Ravens a week from tonight. Monday Night Football will be the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson will come into the Caesar Superdome. On paper, the Ravens are probably going to be favored in this game because they've, they've played better. They're the better team. Not better potential, but better team. Now, the thing about Baltimore is they don't play a lick of defense. They're not very good defensively. So, if the defense can play like it did yesterday, that would go a long ways of being able to get a win. The problem is Lamar Jackson is mobile. And the Saints always struggle with guys who are mobile. Mobile quarterbacks give them fits, so... Probably expect the Ravens to be the favorite there, betting line favorite for the Monday night football game, which will be a week from tonight. Tonight, typically we have Monday night football for yawn on the game, but not tonight. Tonight, game three of the World Series. That's right. From Philadelphia, after Justin Verlander wedded himself in game one. Sorry, we're going to get to that in his continuing choke job in the playoffs because that's what he does. Great pitcher, Hall of Fame pitcher. But him and Clayton Kershaw are going to go into the Hall of Fame and go, man, can you believe how bad we were every postseason? Yeah, but we still made it to Cooperstown. You got a five-run lead. A five-run, inexcusable, inexcusable. You're a veteran pitcher, a Cy Young Award winner, future uh, Hall of Famer, and your team gives you a five-run lead at home, and you do what you did? 
Nah, he's going to be held accountable on this show. I can tell you that. Thankfully, the real staff of the ace, ace of the staff, yeah, he pitched really well for game two. That's Framer Valdez. Been saying it all year, by the way. Evened up the series. Game three in Philly. Games three, four, and five will be in Philly. You can listen to it live right here on the game. Astro launch with Robert Ford, Steve Sparks, 630. First pitch, 703. You can hear it right here on the game tonight. We got to take a timeout. We'll unveil our poll question of the day, and we'll recap the World Series games one and games two. That'll be coming up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, happy Halloween. I'm here. Not in a costume. Hannah Five Names, though, is. She's rocking her Buffy the Vampire Slayer look. She's the producer extraordinaire. The intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos, is here as well. I'm not for sure if he's going with some type of avant-garde Halloween costume or he's just here on a Monday. He's a greaser, but he couldn't find his gel, so he tried. (laughs) He almost went as your foot. So, so, so he's he's like a character from the Outsiders when they when they have to get, stay up in the old church, and they, they there we go there we go I'm with you I'll play along with that. Outstanding, love that movie by the way. I do too. I have the book at my house because I had to read it and then he watched it in school. Yes, S E S E Hinton. Yes, if I remember right. There mm-hmm. we go. Hey, I can remember things. I'm not that old yet. Tony boy. Oh, soda pop. We can go down. We can go down the road about talking about the outsiders all day long. We do have a poll question of the day, Miss Five Names. Would you like to tell the folks what it is? Because typically we only do the foodie poll question of the week on Wednesday, but since Halloween actually fell on a Monday, this was inspired by a recommendation from uh, our good friend Ralph Bergeron, quality listener, loves listening to the show. Gave us a recommendation. It's like anti-Halloween. What do you dread getting in the old Halloween basket when you go trick-or-treating? Tell the folks what our poll question of the day is. Okay, so our food poll question of the day is what is the worst Halloween candy? Candy corn, circus peanuts, black and orange mystery chews, and other. I have to say, I actually do like candy corn. No one come for me. Sorry, John Paul. So many people here at the station love the candy corn. Just me and foot. No, no, no. There's others. Others. Donut. Donut actually likes candy corn. Yes. Yes. <laughs> She's so happy. We can happy. be friends again. We can be friends again. No, I forgot his suspenders for his uh, costume. It's fine. Great job. Great job. Rocking it. Great job. You were so focused on your own costume, you forgot about donuts. Yeah, my costume, Kenneth's costume, other things. It's fine. So. Ton says on Twitter, ooh, tough call. The answer is yes. 
Candy corn is terrible, but the consistency of wet chalk is far from ideal. Mystery chews are just that, mysteries. As in, it's a mystery how anyone can think they're good. Then there's circus peanuts. Only a clown likes those. They're okay. They're not my favorite, though. None of those are good. None no. of those... You, you don't... You never open up your sack. I'm old enough to remember trick-or-treating with, like, a paper sack. You never go around, and when you, you, you look down in your, your sack or your bucket, and you go, oh, goody... The nondescript black and orange chews are in there, or circus peanuts are in there, or candy corn. No one ever goes, yeah, let's have some of that, ever. I'm like, I don't like good and plenties, and I don't like dots. Those are my two that I can't. I don't, ugh. She says they're gross. <laughs> they're like the worst version of Mike and Ike's possible. It's good and plenty and dots. Not ideal. No. Not ideal. Whatsoever. So that's our poll question of the day. Keep those votes coming. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep them clean for the kids. And speaking of awfulness, we got to go back and talk about game one of the World Series. Phillies come back from five runs down against Verlander, the supposed ace of the Houston Astros, to stun them with a 6-5 win in 10 innings in Game 1 of the World Series. The Astros are now 0-5 in World Series Game 1s of all time. Well, They've never won a Game 1 in the World Series. And you're at home. In Verlander, you have five runs. Now, this isn't, oh, JV blew a one-run lead or a two-run lead. No, 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 no. You can fill up your entire hand with how many runs he was given. We're going to have a conversation about Verlander. Guys, the all-time leader on postseason strikeouts. Has a no-hitter. Has the MVP. Has the Cy Young on the resume. Won a World Series even though he didn't win a game. He has a World Series championship on the resume as well. The the resume is phenomenal from top to bottom. And until you look at one little thing, you look on Verlander's resume, you see all those wins, all those strikeouts, all those accolades, all-stars, MVPs, Cy Youngs. It looks great. And then, married to Kate Upton, man's winning in everything. Except for World Series. Not only does he blow the 5 nothing league, and inexplicably decides to not stick with his fastball. Like, that's the thing that he was dealing with his fastball and then makes the decision to go, you know what would be great? Let's just go away from throwing my fastball at all and then just watch the Phillies tee off on me. Uh, just, I don't understand. I, I just don't understand. Verlander in eight career World Series starts because he went to two of them with the Tigers, and now this is his second with the Astros. 
or fifth with the Astros, isn't it? Yeah, 19. Yeah, two with Detroit, two with Houston. He wasn't part of the World Series team last year because he was injured. So this is his fifth World Series. He becomes the first pitcher to pitch in three, uh, pitch in a World Series game in three different decades. So the, the accolades are great. 0-6 now in eight career starts, ERA of 6.06. Ooh. Clayton Kershaw is at least a little better. Seven career World Series appearances. The other guy considered the pitcher of his generation. They're both the two best pitchers of their generations. Six starts, three and two, 4.46 ERA. Both are going to be Hall of Famers. At least Kershaw knows, you know, what it's like to win World Series games. I just don't understand. Don't understand how it's possible that you're that good and you're that bad when it matters the most. Through five innings on Friday night, Verlander's career ERA in World Series game ones. Just game ones. So not only is he not good in the World Series, period, he's especially bad in game ones. When the team goes, hey, JV, you are our ace. We believe in you. Go out there and set the tone. You know how JV replays, repays his team? He goes, Hey, you know what? I'm going to have an ERA in World Series Game 1s of 10.29. 16 earned runs and 14 innings pitched in Game 1s in his career. So not only does he struggle in the World Series, he's especially bad in Game 1. I can't find a comp for JV because Kershaw at least has a couple of wins. I think back to the Braves teams. But at least Glavin, who was notorious for having bad postseasons and having bad World Series games, because he did, and he was a first ballot Hall of Famer, Glavin at least had the 95 World Series. Because in the 95 World Series, which the Braves won and defeated the Cleveland Indians 27 years ago today, Tommy was the MVP of the World Series because he finally pitched really well in the series win over the Indians, now known as the Guardians. But at least Glavin had that, right? He had all that other postseason disappointment, World Series disappointment, but at least he had, hey, how was World Series MVP? I pitched really well in one World Series. I can't think of a comp for JV. A guy that's that great in the regular season, that dominant in the regular season, and when he gets to the postseason, he's not very good, and when he gets to the World Series, he's the worst version of himself. The man was given a five-run lead at home and just blew it. But for the Strohs, they had to get past that. They didn't have a choice. Their ace pitcher put him in the hole again. 
and they bounce back with a 5-2 victory on Saturday to even the series. Framer Valdez, as I jokingly text someone, maybe he can give JV pointers on how to pitch in the postseason. Because he didn't have any problems. He went out there and did his job. And the Strohs stepped up as well. Altuve, who in game one went 0 for 4, falling to 3 for 36 in the postseason. Finally got on track. Finally got on track. Went 3 for 4 on Saturday. Had begun at 4 for 37 in the playoffs. 3 for 4 is a good turnaround for him. So Altuve was hitting the ball. And they got to Zach Wheeler and got to him early. Scoring three runs there in the bottom of the first. Then adding two in the fifth. As they were able to hold on for a 5-2 win. Bregman comes up big. Been talking about that. As long as Bregs plays that way, they're going to have a chance. Alvarez... Pena, Altuve, they're getting production from where they need to get it from. They even got a hit from old McCormick, which always surprises me. And Framer wasn't his best, but it was good enough to get the win. Six and a third, only one run, four hits. He did walk three, and you're like, eh. But he struck out nine. Gave it over to Montero. And Presley, and they brought it home for the Strohs. And now the series is tied 1-1 as it heads for games 3, 4, and 5. We will get all three of those games. That's guaranteed now. And I said I liked Astros in six before the World Series began. I stand by that. Philly's going to get a win here at home in one of these games. I feel like then Houston's going to close it out at home in game six. That's what it feels like to me. And we'll see what happens with Verlander's next start. That's the big question mark for me because he's not going to start games three or four. Will he start game five? Or will you give JV the opportunity to finally get the World Series win and do so at home in game six? Game three tonight... Live from Philadelphia once again, Astro launch, 6.30 with Robert Ford and Steve Sparks, and then they will be on the call for first pitch at 7.03, Game 3 of the World Series. You can listen to it live right here on the game. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Which one brings you the most pain to see when you trick-or-treating? Which poor candy is not the best? Is it candy corn, which half of the staff at the station actually likes? It's just pure sugar, and it just it's all grainy, and it melts in your mouth. And, uh, no. I just don't like it. I just don't care for it. Is it candy corn? Is it circus peanuts or is it those black and orange mystery chews? 
which always felt like to me the leftover parts of other candy that they mixed together in a pot and wrapped up in leftover wax paper. Or is it other? Got to go vote on that. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. New Orleans Pelicans were playing yesterday. Zion Williamson back in the fold. And he simply goes out there and gets himself a double-double. 21 points, 12 rebounds to help the Pels to a 112-91 win over the Los Angeles Clippers on this West Coast trip. Pels improved to 4-2 and two overall. But it wasn't only Zion who got to play 31 minutes. All five starters, this has been a theme this year, but all five starters scored in double digits. C.J. McCollum also had 22 Najee Marshall, 17. Balachunas, 11. And Trey Murphy, the third, 15. Larry Nance Jr. came off the bench, gave him 15 as well. And Devontae Graham had nine, so nearly another guy with the double digits. I like how this team is balanced offensively. It's not just one guy. And remember, no Brandon Ingram on this road trip because of the concussion protocols. So they're down an all-star and yet they're finding a way. Zion looked good yesterday, but they're balanced on offense, and they do a nice job uh, on the defensive end of the football. I mean, defensive end of the court as well. 112-91 victory over the Clippers. And look, Golden State struggled out the gate. The Lakers have been awful. The Clippers haven't been very good. The Pels, 4-2. and two. Now, once again, can they sustain this? But the things that I like about this team that really stand out to me, they're balanced on offense. They're getting double-digit scoring from at least six, sometimes seven, eight guys a night. And defensively, they're all bought in. And by the way, they won yesterday's game not only without B.I., but without Herb Jones again. It's impressive. Anytime you can go on the road and have two starters out and still get a double-digit win, that's impressive. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up. More Saints talk on the way and World Series. Right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Saints defense stopped being scary and started being scary to the opposition as they did their job. Three sacks. Devontae Adams held a one catch for three yards. Derek Carwell under 200 yards passing. Tyron Matthew even got himself a turnover and actually tackled people. A totally dominant performance by the defense yesterday in a 24-0 win over the Las Vegas Raiders inside the Caesars Superdome. The Saints improved to 3-5 and five overall and now are only a game out of the first place Atlanta Falcons who had that on their bingo card for the start of the season who will be leading the NFC South Marcus Mariota led 
Atlanta Falcons. Dominant defensive performance. Offense got Alvin Kamara involved. He had a multi-touchdown game. He was sensational. They got Taysom Hill involved. Offensive line did well. Andy Dalton had a clean pocket. All in all, tremendous win. Shutout win for the Saints. The Raiders, 183 total offensive yards. Because that's all they had in yesterday's game. Remember, entering this game, Raiders top 10 offense, scoring offense in the NFL. Saints defense was ranked in the bottom five or even bottom three in the league in multiple categories. Raiders were held to 183 total offensive yards yesterday. That was the lowest output by any NFL team this season. I'll say it again. The lowest output of total yards in an NFL game was what the Saints did to the Raiders yesterday. 183 was the lowest output for the season so far. And the Raiders' offense didn't even cross midfield until 3.15 left in the fourth quarter. Didn't cross midfield until 3.15 in the fourth quarter. Can we see this type of performance from the Saints' defense moving forward? Are they going to pitch shutout after shutout? No. Can we see just 75, 80% of what we saw yesterday? Because if you do that, this team's going to win a lot of games down the stretch. They pressured the quarterback. Payne Turner had two sacks. Payne Turner, who's been an absolute phantom for the first year and a half of his career, went out there and got two sacks. Pete Werner, tackling machine. Tyron Matthew, making plays. What? Did I say that? Did I stutter? No, I didn't. Tyron Matthew made plays. Phenomenal defensive performance. Offensively, did a nice job to get the win. Kamara had himself a heck of a game. Once again, no Jarvis Landry, no Michael Thomas. But yet they looked good. They looked good. Alvin Kamara did such a good job. And we talked about this team trying to get its swagger back and about trying to find itself again because the Saints that we were accustomed to watching week in, week out, hadn't been there for a long time this season. And and yesterday it felt like they were back, not only because the defense was dominant, but the offense was finding itself. And Alvin Kamara was scoring touchdowns, plural. And Kamara talked about, you know, is the swagger back now with after that 24 to nothing win? Yeah, I think I think it's it's on its way back. You know, we had a we had a nice performance right there, but you know, swag game is not consistent. So you know, you could do it one time, but you got to be able to string it together. So I mean, we're looking for the same type of preparation this week. I know I am. I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready for the next. I ain't even trying to really celebrate this one. I mean, I expect to win every week, so it's not 
I'm not like hip hip hooray right now. I'm like, okay, cool. We, we put it together. Let's see if we can do it again. I, I'm I'm calling for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that's gonna be, I'm gonna have the same message as I did last week. You know, um, just because we had a nice game this week, don't mean that it's a fall off or, or taper down. Like we we got to do the same thing next week and the next week and the next week. Put it together. That's what that's really what swag is. Swag is consistency. I like that. I like the fact that they not well. He's not going out and saying, well, yeah, I mean, I guess, but, you know, uh, swag is consistency. He's talking about being consistent week in, week out. It's great to get a win, but you know what? They beat Seattle a while back, too, and that didn't result in them getting their swag back. Just didn't. So can they now string some wins together? Because once again... The division is wide open. Atlanta leads it at four and four. Saints are sitting there at three and five with Tampa. By the way, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, both below five hundred. Wait for it. Maybe you need more than just a quarterback on your team. Just throwing it out there. For the Saints, they needed this win. It was a must win for them if they even wanted to keep pace in a bad NFC South. Once again, eight wins may win the division for you. Eight and nine, maybe even seven and ten will win the division. But how much did this team need this win? And this is what Kamara had to say about that. I feel like we need to win every week. You know, I mean, we haven't been, obviously. But, um, you know, we got back on track, uh, went out there set out defense play lights out uh i mean that's how our defense plays that's how they're supposed to play that's what we expect you know offense we went out there we did what we we're supposed to do that's what we expect every week when it doesn't happen i'm pissed you know and i'm i'm sure the coaches are pissed everybody but you know it's just holding everybody accountable i mean it's just about it's like ethics you know um just everybody being accountable to themselves and then to their teammate and then you know it's just operating on a certain gradient of uh, self-accountability and, and, you know, policing each other. So when you when you have a, a team that, you know, has some woes and, you know, we're looking for kind of that breakthrough performance and that breakthrough somewhere, um, it's just like it's justifying to kind of get that. And, you know, we're policing each other and doing the things we need to do to get back on track. You know, what's impressed me recently about this team as the offense has been able to kind of get on track is the play of the offensive line. Cesar Ruiz has really started to turn a corner as a starting right guard for this team. You can tell he's taking the coaching and the development from Zach Streif and Doug Marone and others. And the offensive line has played well. It, it, it has. <clears throat> it's starting to play very well. And it's giving Andy time in the pocket to make his throws, to go through his reads. They're opening up some holes for the run game. The offensive line is really starting to come together. And Andy Dalton, who had himself another good game, talked about the play of the guys, the five guys in front of him. I mean, they've been playing great. I mean, to come out of a game, to not only not get sacked, but not really get hit at all either. I mean, that's testament to what they're doing and what we were able to do in the run game today as well. I think that's so important. Those guys have uh, have found a groove, and those guys have meshed well. I feel like those guys are playing great. Andy, the way that you won today 
uh, moving forward, how can you build off something? That's Andy Dalton talking about the offensive line. And look, if the offensive line can play like it did the last two or three weeks and it can play that way the rest of the way, they're in great shape. They really are. You don't need to put up huge numbers in the passing game if you can run the football effectively and play good defense. A lot of NFL fans may think that's winning games ugly. That's fine because the NFL, you don't get style points. That There's not a poll that comes out that determines where you're off for a playoff. I, I just sat there and told you, 7 and 10, 8 and 9 may very well win the NFC South. Guess what happens? You host a playoff game. You won your division. You host a playoff game. That's how that works. So it doesn't matter how you get there. It doesn't matter how it looks. It really doesn't. The only thing that matters at the end of the day is that you win the ball game. And they've let some games get away from them that they should have won. Minnesota springs to mind. Some bad officiating in that game, to be fair. Cincinnati, they should have won. Arizona, they should have won. But they didn't. But now, because the rest of the NFC, in particular the NFC South, is so bad, that's opened up the door. It's left the door open, if you will, for the Saints to seize control and take control of this division. And yes, they will be tested by Lamar Jackson and his ability to get out of the pocket and make some sensational things happen. They always struggle with the mobile quarterback. But look, they're going to get a shot at all three division opponents again. All towards the tail end of the year, they're going to get the Falcons, the Panthers, and the Bucks yet again. And they'll get a chance to win all three of those games. They win those three games, they probably win the division. Probably how it's going to go down. Saints improved to three and five overall. Keep pace. Falcons lead the NFC South at four and four. Saints are right there, though. And once again, the NFC. You got the Eagles, who are really, really good. The Cowboys look to be okay. Probably a playoff team. The Giants, I don't know. They're they're starting to fade a little bit. New York is. But you look at the NFC North. Minnesota's sneaky good. They really are. Changing their head coach has made all the difference in the world. But the rest of that division is awful. The NFC West, Seattle leads that division with Geno Smith as the quarterback. Defending Super Bowl champions under 500. The 49ers are at 500. So NFC playoffs are right there for the Saints still after as bad as they've played, as awful as they've looked, as uninspired as they've been with play calling and coaching and getting fired up and accountability and everything else, everything that could possibly have gone wrong with injuries and Michael Thomas not playing and Jarvis Landry not playing. Why wasn't Michael Thomas put on IR, by the way? 
once again, medical issues, Michael Thomas and the Saints, it's always a soap opera. In spite of all that, Saints are still here, still have an opportunity to win the division and get to the playoffs. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, whew, we're going to talk that poll question of the day. It's the bonus foodie poll question of the week. It's what you don't want to get in your trick-or-treating bag. What candy do you not want to receive? We want to hear from you. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. Hotline's open as well. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on this Halloween edition. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, do you want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever? One of the most highly anticipated sequels of the year. Hannah Five Names does. Don't know about Moses Campos yet. Then text the word Panther to 337-283-8100. That's 337-283-8100 for your chance to win a spot for two on the guest list. It's going to be very exclusive. For a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda Forever at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard on November 10th. That is Hannah Five Names' birthday, by the way. Once again, text the word Panther to 337-283-8100. That's Panther to 337-283-8100. To score tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, brought to you by The Game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. Kind of stoked for that movie, by the way. I'm going to be intriguing to find out how they're going to deal with incorporating Bozeman's death into it, right? Because that's the whole thing. And then you get Namor as the villain, which is intriguing to me. Yes, we're a big MCU household. Our poll question of the day is inspired by a suggestion from Ralph Bergeron, one of our listeners. What is the worst Halloween candy? Now, I could have put on here as an option toothbrush. Because you remember as a kid, someone would always hand out toothbrush, a toothbrush. Like, okay, dentist or toothbrush wholesaler guy. No, no, no one needs this. No one wants this. It's our night to rot out our teeth. Why are you trying to make us give us floss or teeth or toothbrushes? Stop it. But we asked you, what is the worst Halloween candy? Is it candy corn? Is it circus peanuts? Is it the black and orange mystery chews that you can never really understand what they were as a flavor? And they were in that wax paper. 
You're just like, uh, what is this? Or other. Right now, 36% of the vote's going to candy corn. 28%'s going to those black and orange mystery chews. 24% go to circus peanuts, and 12% go to other. Let's get to some comments. Brad on Twitter says, mystery chews. Never got circus peanuts. What kind of weirdo neighborhood gives out <laughs> peanuts for Halloween? That's like getting socks for Christmas. Outstanding. JPK, the OD, says circus peanuts. Thankfully, they're almost extinct at this point. But back in the day, oh, so bad. Oh, they were so bad. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, <laughs> you, can you can apparently buy a 20-pound box of candy corn is there another bite-sized candy you can buy a 20-pound box of in the unwrapped condition? Who's buying a 20-pound box of candy corn? It's just unwrapped. Unwrapped candy corn just spills out of your box. They just get delivered to your doorstep by Amazon. That sounds just the worst. Just the worst. You already heard Hannah share Tan's comment from earlier. John Paul Cajun Daddy says a reaction to candy corn, and it's uh, Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber starting to throw up. Hart on Twitter says candy corn is the human equivalent of sugar cubes for horses. I feel like someone should pop up and say good boy or good girl after you eat one. It's just so grainy, man. That's the problem with candy corn. It's just so grainy. Ton also would like to wish us all a happy Halloween. Shout out to you. Happy Halloween to you, Ton. Steve says the orange marshmallow peanuts, whoever invented those, hated themselves. <laughs> uh, not wrong. Mr. Green says these are all terrible, all of them, but worst, candy corn, and then shares a gif of someone dumping a whole jar of candy corn into the trash can. Ralph Bergerod says, always trust your inner Kathy Bates. Happy Halloween, gang. Candy corn is the devil. John Paul also says, well, this is by far a question that needs no thinking. There are two types of people in this world. Those of us who know candy corn is nasty and then all you crazy people. <laughs> Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day, which is our bonus foodie poll question of the week this week because Halloween is tonight. Be safe out there with all the trick-or-treating, by the way. Hmm? Make sure you're safe out there when you're taking the kiddos for trick-or-treating. We have trick-or-treating tonight in Sunset. We're going to do our neighborhood and then hit up a friend's neighborhood as well. Oh, that's right. We go big or go home on, on the Halloween with the kid. And she's going to be dressed up as Cat Noir from the adventures of, I don't know, Mir Miraculous, the adventures of Ladybug and Cat Noir. Isn't it like red? Isn't that what Cat Noir is? She red? L Ladybug wears the the red Ladybug in red and black polka dot. So when I thought when she first said, but no, she wanted the the boy character's costume. So she's like a little female kitty cat. Well, makes sense. Out there doing her thing. And yeah. we're getting our money's worth out of that costume, by the way. She wore it. <laughs> she wore it to school last week when they were able to dress up on Friday. She wore it to go trick-or-treating with her pop and Mimi at the campground at Beulah Rose the weekend before. Mm -hmm. She wore it for trunk-or-treating when we took her to church yes, for trunk-or-treating on Saturday. We had trunk-or-treating on Saturday. And then she'll wear it again today. 
Bang, bang. Boom. Getting that money's worth. Getting that money's worth. So, yes. It's got the whole, you know, it's got the ears and the mask and the whole nine yards. I don't think I've ever had these mysteries. If I'm looking at the right picture right now, I don't think I've ever had them. Then so. count yourself fortunate. Count yourself right. as truly blessed. You never do know, like, at, at, there, there are times where I've had them where I'm like, okay, it almost tastes like... Um, like saltwater taffy? That's what I, it looked like. What I'm looking it's, at, it looks like saltwater taffy. But it's not taffy flavored. Like, I don't know. It's it's hard to... Like, sometimes they taste like some type of peanut butter, but it's not. It's a weird thing, the mystery chews. They're all greasy, mm-hmm. too. Like, they start the grease starts coming through the wax paper. You're like, what is this made out of? Who made this? I don't know. <laughs> I do love those. I, I don't think they have a name, but I, I feel, I'm calling them mystery, like, little sucker ball thingies. But, like, they're different colors. They're, like, they're usually, like, they're green and orange, and they come in this little plastic wrap. Like, you would have, like, a little mint in. Look, look, it's a mint, but it's not a mint. It's like a... Okay. A sucker type thing, but just don't just think by itself. I don't know what to call it. Those are fantastic. They're like different colors, and they come in a little tiny little plastic, like a regular mint would, but okay. it's not mint. You know what those are? No. Mm. I just I'm grateful we don't have the popcorn balls, like the caramel popcorn balls. Oh yeah. I thought about terrible. that. That that's why we tweaked it. We went we went with other. Popcorn balls, I don't see them as much anymore. You could also say candy apples yeah, as well. Would have been one of those ones, but yeah, n- n- neither one. Candy apples and then the like the Halloween of like anything, the Halloween pretzels and the Halloween like cheese balls. They always came in only the orange with, with black spiders or black with orange spiders every time. Came in a big, huge bag. You always had them at school for like your Halloween smoke or treat party. Terrible. Always bad. Always stale. Shout out to Mr. Green for giving me the exact, it's the miraculous tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir. You're a girl dad when you know that, LOL. (laughs) You're correct. And he says, recommendation Bluey. Already got Bluey on the rotation at the household. Our little Australian, Australian dog cartoon where the parents have all the time in the world to play with their kids. Every episode. Stay at home, dad and mom. Whoa. Apparently. I'm not for sure. Almost as bad as Peppa Pig. Oh man, we Peppa. <laughs> she she started with the Peppa, and I, I I nipped that in the bud early on. And I was like, uh uh-uh, uh, no 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 no, and we transitioned to other things quickly. I made sure that was done inside the Parch household. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day once again. What's the worst Halloween candy? What's the one that would bum you out the most when you were a kid? When you went trick-or-treating, right now, leading the vote, candy corn with 37% of the vote, 26% goes to the black and orange mystery chews, 22% circus peanuts, 15% for other. Keep those votes coming. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, oh, it's LSU-Bama week. We'll talk about that. How big of a game is it? That's all coming up with Jeff Palermo, our buddy from Tiger Rag Radio. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and The Game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, The Game, Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. 
Our special bonus foodie poll question of the week, because today is Halloween. What is the worst Halloween candy? What's the worst? Whew. Is it candy corn? Is it circus peanuts? Is it those black and orange mystery chews that no one really knows what the flavor is? Because it changes. <laughs> or is it other? That's our poll question of the day. Right now, 37% of you say candy corn. 22% of you say circus peanuts. 26% say those black and orange mystery chews. 15% say other. Also, you could do simple write-ins of the people that give out toothbrushes as part of trick-or-treating. Those people are no good. They're just no good. I'm all about dental health, okay? We make sure our daughter brushes her teeth every morning, every night, okay? We practice it. We talk about it in our household, okay? I get it. But on Halloween... I'm telling you right now, when we take our daughter trick-or-treating today, this evening, we're going to go multiple places, going to trick-or-treat our neighborhood, then we're going to go to my mom's, and then we're going to go to one of our friends from church's neighborhood. We're going to have a great time. Our daughter, Hattie's going to be able to dress up in her miraculous cat noir costume with the little ringing bell. We're going to have a great time. I'm telling you right now, my daughter comes back from a house. And there is a toothbrush. Or if there's circus peanuts or there's black and orange things, you know what's going to happen to them? I'm going to take them right out of the thing. I'm going to throw them in the trash. Done. Don't be bringing the mess to trick-or-treating. Just saying. Just saying. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Keep them coming. Just because my daughter may be nice... She's easy going. Okay? Love that kid. She's got a great personality. Thinks the best of people. But daddy will get sideways with some folks. Better not be any toothbrushes being thrown in that trick-or-treat bag. I'm just saying. Just saying. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on our first guest for today's show. He's someone that gets upset about toothbrushes and trick-or-treat bags as well. It's our friend from Tiger Rag Radio. The illustrious one, Mr. Jeff Palermo. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Raymond. How about yourself? I'm doing great, but I'm going to ask you straight up, what's the worst Halloween candy when you remember as a kid? Candy corn. <laughs> Don't even have to think about it. Just candy corn. Horrible. What is, what's the point? What, I mean... We've struck a nerve with Jeff. We've struck a nerve with Jeff. <laughs> somebody somebody just got a handful of candy corn thrown into their trick-or-treat bag as a child. <laughs> That's the other part of it, right? Like All the other candies are individually wrapped, Jeff, and then someone's just going to get their old dirty hands into a jar and just take the candy corn and just throw it into your bag. You go, what? Yeah. What are you doing? No. I don't want a, your exposed greasy hand candy up on my. Come on now, that's a that's a yeah. good answer by you, bud. That's a good answer. For years, the bye week hurt LSU in the Bama game, right? 
They, the CBS or the SEC made the decision to give both teams their bye week before the game to help ramp up things. And whenever they made that decision, it really kind of hurt LSU with the exception being the 2019 national championship season. How do you feel about it this time around with Brian Kelly and company getting an extra week to prepare for Alabama? I don't know if it was so much the bye week. I just think it was Les Miles deciding to try to run a football through a brick wall. <laughs> just to, you know, I, mean, I think that was their main problem during ever uh, since losing that national championship game. I, I mean, I think I just think the game plans were just it, it, they were flawed, and then. So they finally, once LSU had a, a, a dynamic offense, you know, they obviously beat them. And then the last two years, I mean, I mean, LSU was kind of in a was in a wreck, right? I mean, 2020, um, they didn't. They, they, I mean, they, they they didn't belong on the same field with um, Alabama. And then last year, I mean, I, I thought they they competed. I mean, they were right there with Alabama at the end. I mean, they were. Uh, refresh my mind. I think they were throwing like a hail mary to the end zone to potentially win the game. So they they were right there last year. So I don't know if it's necessarily the bye week uh, that has been the problem for LSU. I mean, I think the the biggest thing was, or the biggest things have been that Alabama has been the more talented team, and in many of these years here, they've just been the the uh, They've been better coached, and LSU had a, a faulty game plan going up against Alabama uh, ever since the um, national championship game. Well, even that game too. Uh, I mean, and, and even the, the nine to six game. I mean, it was just you, you couldn't the, the the way LSU was trying to beat Alabama by running the ball, running it right at them. It, that just that just wasn't going to work. All right, let's talk about how this team matches up to this year's Alabama team. This Alabama team is vulnerable. We've already seen them lose to Tennessee in a shootout there in Rocky Top. Bryce Young, though, is back. They figured out how to run the football. So what are some of the big challenges that this Alabama team, even though it's vulnerable, does still present Brian Kelly and his team? Well, I think Bryce Young is a terrific quarterback, and I and I understand that a lot of the uh, talk is going towards Hendon Hooker and him potentially winning the Heisman. But I still think Bryce Young is a, a I mean, he's the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, and uh, I don't know if I don't think he'll win it this year just because Hooker's numbers are are better. But still, there's a, a few more games to be played, so that there's still a possibility that Bryce can win it. But I think he's a great quarterback. He's a guy that performs well in the clutch especially late in the fourth quarter. You talked about Alabama being able to run the football. Uh, I think that's been one thing that uh, while they might not have the, uh, you know, the first-round draft picks at the wide receiver position like they've had in the last few seasons, I, I do think they have the ability to, to run the football. I, I mean, I think Jameer Gibbs has been absolutely outstanding this season. I mean, he's averaging nearly seven yards a carry. Um, he's going to be tough to stop. And then on defense uh, for Alabama, I mean, Will Allen's a, a he's an elite player as well. And so, or Will Anderson, I should say. Uh, so that is, he's going to be difficult to stop. But I, you know, I'll say this. I mean, this is not, 
I, I don't think this Alabama team is as good as some of the, the previous ones. I think we've seen that kind of play out with some of these close calls that Alabama's had, plus the loss to Tennessee. But there is a reason why they're still 11.5-point favorites. It's because they they have one of the best defenses in the SEC and one of the best offenses in the SEC overall. And it's, um, you know, they, they still have one of the best coaching staffs in, in all of college football. So all that's pointing in the direction on why, you know, Alabama's still a, a double-digit uh, favorite in this one. So, um, but I, I, I think LSU obviously is, is playing its best football at the moment. And, you know, I, I, I give them a chance. I, I don't think, uh, you know, I'm, I, I want to be surprised if, if LSU got this one, but, I also see why Alabama's favorite by you know eleven and a half points. I think that's a little high though. I just and not because I'm drinking the uh, LSU flavored Kool Aid. I just there's nothing from this Alabama team that I've seen this year, Jeff, that suggests that they're going to come into Tiger Stadium and 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 beat up on the Tigers. I, I just don't because I've seen them struggle against uh, uh, an average Texas team. I saw them struggle to beat a less than average, a team that may not even make a bowl game in Texas A&M. And they got caught vulnerable against Tennessee, and they struggled against Arkansas. So 11 11 points, double-digit points seems way too high, especially with the way this Alabama team has played from start to finish this year. And it's going to be at night in Death Valley, and I think LSU's feeling really confident about themselves. Now, if Alabama beats LSU by double-digit points, would I be surprised? No, but I don't know. I just There's nothing that tells me that this Alabama team is going to be able to walk into Baton Rouge and win easily. I, I agree. I, I do think, uh, um, even though I, I think it's a bad matchup, you know, Alabama-Mississippi State and, and the Crimson Tide really handled them. That was probably Alabama. I would say that was at least against, you know, throughout the Vanderbilt game. Uh, that was L- Alabama's most complete effort in the season and what we've seen previously with Nick Saban teams when they suffer the loss uh they they when they suffer a loss during the season they do play much better after that and I, I think that's part it's of true. it that you take that into account I think there's still questions can LSU defensively slow down Alabama uh I mean you look at LSU they've they gave up a ton of points to Tennessee um you know Ole Miss got out very quickly on them. But then again, the Tigers shut them down. They gave up 35 points to Florida. Um, is there a question, can LSU slow down Alabama enough? I, I, I would agree, though. I mean, I would I would bet LSU in this game uh, uh, the way it stands now. And it'll be interesting to see if the line moves a little bit uh, closer uh, to LSU's favor in this game. But uh, – I'm expecting a pretty close game. I could see this game certainly being decided by by less than ten points. I think it's there. LSU's right there with them. Um, there's the, the the confidence level is high with LSU, and I'm I'm not I'm not expecting a two touchdown or a three touchdown victory here for Alabama. What's the X factor for LSU in this ball game? You know, I think it comes back to just playing clean on special teams. Um, can they can they make sure they just don't give you know Alabama a short field, uh, whether it's a long return or another muff punt or um, 
you know, LSU commits a penalty on a punt and they got to re-punt it and, you know, all those kind of things. I think they got to play clean on special teams. And I would say the other thing is just Jaden Daniels. Can, can he elevate his game to such a level that it's, it's making Nick Saban pull his hair out? I mean, can, I mean, what we've seen from him the last two weeks has been obviously uh, really, really good. I mean, to score 45 points in back-to-back games, that, that's terrific. Um, can, can you now even take it up uh, another notch or two to really give this Alabama defense uh, trouble? So I would, I would say they've got to be clean on special teams, and Jaden Daniels has to have uh, his best game of the season by far. And I'd say the third factor, I like both of those, uh, Jaden playing at uh, clean special teams, Jaden Daniels playing well. Uh, the other thing that's stood out to me the last couple of years about Alabama, uh, teams tend to take advantage when Alabama beats itself. And if the rash of awful penalties that they've committed, the lack of discipline and the turnovers, which have been an issue for them all season long, that plays right into LSU's hands. So Jane Daniels, playing at a high level because Hooker gave Alabama all types of fits. Can Daniels do something similar? I think that's number one. Special teams, like you said, Jeff, I think that's number two. And I think the third X factor is having Alabama shoot itself in the foot and taking advantage of that because they are prone to shooting themselves in the foot this year. It's been really bizarre to see this team, this Alabama team, have the penalty issues that they've had. You know, the Texas game was in particular bad. Uh, the Tennessee game was bad as well. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't understand what their issue is with that. Um, I mean, if you look at the numbers, I mean, they've committed 42 penalties this year. Only Mississippi State in the league has committed more than them, and that's just by one more, 43. I mean, 75 yards in penalties per game for this Alabama team. Um, you know, now LSU has been a team that's been penalized quite a bit as well. I mean, they've they got 39 penalties and averaging 66 yards. So um, certainly a game like this, whoever you know, it's obviously a, a cliche, but whoever can commit the fewest amount of mistakes will will certainly will certainly have an opportunity here uh, in this game. All right, brother, what you got up your sleeve, so to speak, for Tiger Rag Radio this week? Well, um, by the way, those penalty numbers, I was, I was just on accountant conference numbers. Just wanted to make sure I got that clear. But anyways, uh, going to Tiger Rag Radio this week. Uh, we'll be on after, what, game four of the World Series. We'll have Marcus Spears on. Marcus Ooh, Spears is going nice. to be on in our uh, first hour. So uh, look forward to talking with him. You know, Marcus has got a, uh, a unique perspective on this rivalry, knowing that he, uh, he played for Nick Saban here at LSU, and obviously he's got purple and gold uh, blood flowing through him, but he has the utmost respect for Nick Saban, and he has, also has an understanding of how Nick Saban thinks and approaches big games like this. So uh, we'll see. Uh, it'll be interesting to catch up with uh, Marcus and uh, get his take on the game. Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy Tiger Rag Radio this week, and we'll talk to you on Monday, my friend. All right, sounds good, Raymond. Thanks. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two, update that poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on this Halloween edition of RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
In Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you or your contractor that you've hired is digging a fence, it could be a privacy fence, a chain link fence, it really doesn't matter, or a pool, in ground, above ground, minor landscaping around the house, it does not matter. You run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. So what happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out there and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple. It's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service, and to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, remind you, call 811 and know it's below before you dig. Poll question of the day, what's the worst Halloween candy? Right now, tied for the lead with 30% each is candy corn and those black and orange mystery chews. 24% of you say circus peanuts, 16% say other. Got some great comments so far. Ton says right in vote, box of raisins, plain raisins. Gross. <laughs> Always somebody trying to be healthy out there on Halloween. God bless them. Ralph also says, as a side note, candy corn makes excellent mousetrap bait. <laughs> Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. Hour number two is done. Coming up, hour number three, we'll recap McNeese's game against Southeastern Louisiana, talk World Series, talk Saints. That's all coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number three has arrived on this Halloween edition of RP3 and Company. Good morning. Oh, man, we're going to close out things strong today. T.J. Jones from the State of the Saints podcast is going to join us for the Big Easy Blitz. That'll be coming up a half an hour from right now. Also this hour, we'll hear from Coach Gary Goff. McNeese came up just short. Man, they're close. They're close. Came close the week before getting that first conference win against Nichols. Got even closer against Southeastern Louisiana. We'll hear from Coach Goff about that game. That'll be coming up this hour as well. Of course, phone lines are open. You want to talk World Series? Houston Astros, Philadelphia Phillies tied up one game apiece. They'll play game three tonight in Philly. You can listen to it live right here on the game. Astro launch will begin at 6.30, first pitch 7.03. We can talk World Series. We can talk how Framer Valdez is the real ace of the staff. If you'd like, 
Once again, Verlander on Friday was giving was given on a silver platter a five-run lead. Here you go, bud. Not one, not one run, not two. No, 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 no. Five. Five. And he just wetted himself and said, bruh, bruh. there we go. Now 0 for 6 in eight starts in the World Series. He's particularly bad in game ones. As they choke that one away. Credit Philly for getting the hits. But there's no reason why the Astros should have lost game one. They choked that one away. And that that falls at the feet of Justin Verlander. A guy who is going to be a Hall of Famer. One of the best pitchers of his generation. But a guy that has routinely failed in the postseason. And I can't make a comp for you. I've tried. You automatically want to go back to the Braves teams of the 90s. You want to think of Maddox and Glavin, who both had their rough postseasons. The Braves had the best pitching staff in baseball, and yet two of their three guys always struggled come postseason time. Maddox would have his worst games in the postseason. Glavin had his worst performances in the postseason. That's why my favorite pitcher of that era was always John Smoltz because you could always count on Smoltz. There's certain guys that are built for the postseason. Andy Pettit was that guy for the Yankees. Of all the different guys they had as their supposed aces during that run that they had and when they had Clemens, who also was notorious for having bad postseasons, Andy was always the guy that you could give the ball to and be like, okay, Pettit's going to get the job done. That's what Smoltz was for the Braves. That is not Verlander. And I thought, oh, a good comp for JV would be Glavin, but then Glavin had the World Series MVP in 95 where he pitched his best. So he has that one great postseason kind of run there, surrounded, sandwiched in by a bunch of bad postseason performances. Now, look, Verlander has all the accolades. Cy Young, MVP, multiple All-Stars. Has the World Series championship from 2017. Even though he didn't win a game, he has the 2017 World Series championship. Married Kate Upton. I mean, you just go down the list. But you have to be able to... you have to be able to get the job done when you're given a five-run lead. There's no excuse for that. Once again, this isn't a one-run, two-run lead. He was given five runs. Kyle Tucker said, I got this. And Verlander was like, I'm just going to throw it in the trash can. He treated that five-run lead on Friday like most of his treat candy corn, right in the trash. And they're going to need JV to pitch again. A guy that's never won a World Series game. A guy that's had years of postseason problems. They're going to need him to win a game. Because he dropped game one. Now, could Houston go into Philly starting tonight and win all three games? Yes. And then that means the World Series is over in five games. They could go in there and win games three, four, and five. 
I don't think that's going to happen. I said Astros would win this World Series in six. And I still stick to that. Philly is going to win a game at home. Which means I'm telling you that Houston's going to take two or three in Philly. And they're going to lead this World Series three games to two. Heading into game six, which would be Friday night at Minute Maid. Now, the way the rotation goes, Verlander, Valdez, McCullers, and Javier, right? Those are your four. And we know McCullers is going to be a package deal with probably Jose Arquiti because McCullers hasn't looked great during the postseason. So you're going to package him in with a guy that, by the way, has three, three World Series wins. Which means you're going to probably need JV on Wednesday. Game five? I just... Verlander's going to get another shot. He's going to get another shot. And look, I don't care by the fact that he hasn't won a game. He's got a couple of no decisions on that resume, and he's been really good in the regular season. He's been kind of good. He's been pretty good during some postseason runs as well. What, What I care about is, if I'm an Astros fan... Your team, you're supposed to be the guy. You're supposed to be the guy. You're you're supposed to be the ace of the staff. You're the veteran. You're the old man on the roster. You're supposed to you're supposed to be the guy. And he wasn't. He proved to be a liability. Can't have that. Can't have that from one of your ace. You can't you can't have it. So I don't care about the fact that he's never won a World Series game. When he gets another opportunity to pitch, JV needs to go out there and do his job. That's all. Do his job. Because you were gifted a five-run lead. And Verlander simply choked. 39 years old, been in the league as long as he's had, and he had another one of those postseason just where you go, what are you doing? What are you doing? Once again, Stroh's Phillies Game 3 World Series tonight. You can listen to it live right here on the game. Astro launch begins at 6.30, first pitch 7.03. New Orleans Saints. Get a much-needed win yesterday inside the Caesar Superdome. Shutout victory over the Las Vegas Raiders, 24-0. Big takeaways for me. Defense was dominant. Dominant. That's what we expected to see from this defense this season. Hadn't seen it yet. Finally got to see it. After seven games in, week eight comes around. We finally get to see the Saints play to their potential on the defensive side of the football. Payne Turner, two sacks. What? They got a pass rush. They got after the quarterback. They took Devontae Adams, eliminated him from the game plan. Took him out of the game. One catch, three yards. Getting paid a bunch of money. They got got one catch for three yards. Putting up Kevin White numbers. Eliminated him. Josh Jacobs, you could argue, was the best running back in football the last three weeks heading into this ballgame. Saints defense said, not so fast. 
You're not going to be a factor. Done. Out of here. 183 yards of total offense for the Las Vegas Raiders. That's the lowest total for a team in the NFL this season. No team has had less yards in a ball game this season than Las Vegas Raiders did yesterday against the Saints. Saints got turnovers. Tyron Matthew looked like he was actually interested. Catching the tip ball interception. Pete Werner, by the way, oh man, got a really good one, Saints fans. You got a really good one there at linebacker. Imagine that, another Ohio State guy playing well in the NFL. Stunned. Secondary played better. Adebo played better. Not perfect, but better. It was a dominant performance by the defense. And they did so without Lattimore. Still injured. Couldn't go. Offensively, they were able to move the ball. Andy Dalton was efficient. Alvin Kamara, get the ball in your playmaker's hands. We say it over and over again on this show. And we say it over and over again on this station. Get the ball to your playmakers. Hey, see what happens? Kamara, phenomenal. Finally finds the end zone multiple times yesterday. Taysom Hill was effective. The lone thing in this game that makes you worry, the the blemish, if you will, was Will Lutz. Missing another field goal. That was a chip shot. At first, when they did the replay, you thought it may have been blocked, but it wasn't. When you looked at the replay, you're like, ah, he just missed it. Need your field goal kicker to do his job, make kicks. But that's it. Offense looked well. Andy Dalton did a nice job. Once again, no Michael Thomas, no Jarvis Landry out there. Chris Olave just catches everything thrown to him. Once again, another Ohio State player. Is there a better college team that prepares their guys for the NFL transition more than Ohio State? Those guys are just ready. They're just built for the NFL. Kamara took over. And now they get to three and five. Second place in their division. Atlanta holds on to beat Carolina yesterday. The Marcus Mariota-led Falcons lead the division at 4-4. Four and four. This division is extremely winnable. Extremely. 8-9 and nine feels like it's going to win the division in the NFC South this year. 8-9 and nine may win the division in the NFC West as well. Eight and nine. Heck, seven and ten may get it done. Might be able to get it done. But despite all their issues, despite their injuries, despite their letting games get away from them, Cincinnati, Arizona spring to mind as games they should have won but didn't. The Saints are right there in the playoff hunt. Despite all of those issues. And look, this is the NFL. This isn't college football where you get style points, where that matters for jockeying for position for playoff rankings. No, no, no. There's none of that in the NFL. Do you win enough games? Did you win your division? 
That's all that matters. And just like when the Saints had to go on the road and take on the Seattle Seahawks, who were, what, 7-9 and nine that year, and they lost that game to Marshawn, Lynch, and company, the Saints could do the same to somebody else. Win the division 8-9, and nine, host a home playoff game, Dallas Cowboys, maybe. New York Giants, maybe. And then they're on their merry way. And then anything can happen when you get to the postseason. Saints' next up opponent is going to be the Baltimore Ravens. Mobile quarterbacks give them issues. (laughs) Give them headaches. They struggle against the mobile quarterback, and Lamar Jackson is an absolute phenomenal talent and a great quarterback. He can do both. So they're going to have their hands full on Monday night football a week from tonight. But for right now, they get to bask in the glow of a victory. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, we're going to talk McNeese football. Cowboys came oh so close to getting off the schneid in Southland Conference play. We'll talk about that game. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name, TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, Bikes, Brews, and Omelets, too, returns this weekend. You can enjoy some of the best cycling in South Louisiana and finish the day with food, beers, and live music. Who doesn't like that? Register now at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. There's a variety of routes ranging from 10 to 100 miles. Saturday's path explores St. Martin Parish and ends up at Tante Marie with hot gumbo. Sunday starts and finishes in Abbeville, just in time for the giant omelet celebration. So go sign up today for Bikes, Brews, and Omelets, too, at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. What's the worst Halloween candy? What's the worst Halloween candy? Candy corn. There's black and orange mystery chews. Circus peanuts or other. Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. The Minis Cowboys came up just short yet again over the weekend. The week prior, they lost 40-35 to on the road at Nichols in a game that they could have easily won. Their first conference win of the season is what they're still looking for. 
And then Saturday was no different at home. It was homecoming. Southeastern Louisiana Lions came to town there at the hole. And, man, this one's even tougher than the last one. 28-27 loss. 28-27 loss to Southeastern. McNeese falls to 1-7 overall and 0-4 in conference play. They'll wrap up their non-conference slate this Saturday when they welcome in Eastern Illinois to Cowboys Stadium, and then they wrap it up at Houston Christian, formerly of Houston Baptist, and then against old rival Lamar on November 19th. But this game was there for the taking. Could have won it. Probably should have won it. As they do a nice job. 385 yards of offense. They passed the ball for 200, ran for 182. Third down was a problem, but that was for both teams. McNeese was 4 of 12. Southeastern was 3 for 11. Devontae McMahon put on a show as he scored multiple touchdowns, a five-yard rushing touchdown, a five-yard passing touchdown from Walker Wood, and then a three-yard running touchdown, three-touchdown performance for McMahon. Walker Wood came in there, performed well. He was thrust into emergency quarterback duty. After starter Knox Caden was injured at Nichols last week, he gave the offense a bit of a spark, throwing for 203 yards and a touchdown, 14 of 20 passing while rushing for another 84 yards and a score. As I mentioned, McMahon counted for three touchdowns, two rushing, one receiving, as he finished the game with 97 rushing yards and 22 carries. But it was all for naught as Southeastern scores a touchdown early in the fourth quarter. Our Carlos Washington Jr. one-yard touchdown run. Extra point was good. That gave them a 28-27 advantage, and they were able to hold on to that as the Cowboys were unable to get it done late. They did get the ball back under six minutes to go, but Wood was sacked on third and 11. That backed the Cowboys up to the 11-yard line and forced them to punt. The defense did respond by forcing Slew to punt the ball away again, and McNeese had one final chance with a minute 42 remaining. And Wood was able to drive the Cowboys down all the way down to the southeastern Louisiana 35-yard line with 42 seconds to play. But on second and 10, his pass to Mason Pierce would be just out of reach as the ball would be tipped off of his fingers and landed in the hands of Dante Daniels for the game-ending interception. Once again, McNeese looks to get back on track against Eastern Illinois. This coming Saturday night. And there was a lot to be said afterwards. Obviously, a game they should have won. They could have won in spite of the injuries. And Golf addressed that. The first-year head football coach of the McNeese Cowboys with his opening statement after Saturday's tough loss. Yeah, um, proud of the guys. Really am. Um... Uh, I stand by my word. I do think Southeastern's uh, the best team in the conference from top to bottom. Uh, extremely athletic. Quarterbacks are extremely talented. Uh, they're physical. They're fast. Uh, they, they got a great team. Uh, with that being said, extremely uh, proud of how our guys, you know, fought for four quarters. 
came up a couple plays short. Um, every game comes down to a few plays. And, um, you know, we should be in overtime right now. You know, we, we bobble a uh, PAT, and uh, that keeps us from scoring that, that 28th point right there. Um, and, and, you know, had, had a, a couple plays that, um, you know, Walker's trying to make a lot happen right there at the end of the game. I can't really fault him for that pick there. Um, you know, heck of a play by the, the DB. Uh, the, the interception before that, he was just trying to force a play down the middle. Um, and, you know, it's got to improve in that area. But honestly, I thought Walker played a really good game, uh, especially for his first start. And i um, extremely proud of, of um, everybody, really, from top to bottom. I know we didn't get the result we wanted, but, you know, defense, they're um, – I mean, they're, they're depleted in that secondary, and for them guys to battle like that, uh, gave up a few big plays, but um, it's probably, you know, expected. Deontay McMahon had a three-touchdown game. He's been huge the last couple of weeks as they've been able to kind of have him be the focal point of the offense, and it's nearly helped them get their first conference victory. He had a three-touchdown performance on Saturday yet again, and Gary Goff, talked about just what he's able to bring to the table uh, typical uh, i mean he, he played a great game you know two two catches out of the backfield uh one for a big big touchdown right there and then um you know he rushed for 97 yards and two other touchdowns so three touchdowns on the night um you know he's, he's pretty pretty steady he's our he's our he's our workhorse they're close they're really close look th this team just has to figure out how to win uh, anytime you're going through a rebuilding project and you're taking over a losing program, which Manise has been for a couple years, getting the guys to buy in when things don't go their way and having them believe that they can pull out the win and actually doing it, that's the biggest hurdle any coach has, high school, college, or pro, when they take over a program that's down and out, getting them to believe that they can win a game. And once that happens, once they break through and get that win, then they're off to the races nine times out of ten. McNeese is close. They're just not quite there yet. Let's quickly head out to the hotline. Welcome on Paul to the show. Paul, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, bud? I got about 45 seconds, but it's yours. Okay. Um, the, the worst is candy um, for Halloween. Gum, hard candy, <laughs> um, popcorn balls, and apple candy. And a Apple candy, and all put, right. I like gum. That's a good. That's a good choice. You're talking about like the no. like the bubble bubble, the 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 really tough all stuff gum. that's all chalky. Gum. All gum. All, all gum. gum. Man hates gum. All, all right. Gum. And I sent you a video. You need to look at it because I've been telling y'all they've been cheating for years. I just sent you proof. The the Houston Patriots told you. That's all I got to say. You have a good one, RP. The man who's a Yankee fan talks about other teams cheating, which I just love. Like the Yankees haven't been cheating for decades. <laughs> you do remember, Paul, you had Alex Rodriguez on your roster, right? For a long time. Yeah, yeah. The epitome of cheater. But I I, I don't care. By the way, uh, RP3 is not a big cheating and baseball guy because it's been part of the game for 150 years. Every team has cheated. Every team cheats whether that's stealing signs or doing whatever it is. Everyone's cheating. Everyone's trying to find a way. You're just mad because your team didn't help them win a championship. It helped Boston win a championship when they cheated <laughs> just a few years ago. Just saying. But gum is a good answer. Paul says gum. Worst, 
Where's Halloween candy? Any type of gum, he says. There we go. Got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, it'll be time for us to talk all things black and gold. Saints got the win yesterday, 24-0. Dominant performance by the defense. Alvin Kamara balled out. TJ Jones from the Saint of the Saints podcast is going to join us here for the Big Easy Blitz on RP3 and Company. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. The give to Kamara. Breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone. Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast now joins us here for the Big Easy Blitz. Brother, it's always better to talk to you after a win. There hasn't been many of them, (laughs) but... I, I had to get you. I knew you were excited to come on because typically you don't do Mondays, but you were like, man, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. I'm ready to talk. We got a win to talk about. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's been a while. It's been a while, brother. It's been a while. This is the defense we expected to see this season. This was the defense we expected to lead this team this season, to be the strength of this team. We finally got to see it yesterday inside the Dome. Yeah, I mean, it was good to see. And, you know, this is the New Orleans Saints that we all wanted. You know, we all expected these were the New Orleans Saints where, you know, we were uh, talking about this team possibly being a Super Bowl contender. Um, and it, I'm, it, it couldn't come at a better time. I mean, a, as bad as the Saints have been playing, everyone in the division has been playing just as bad. So you still have an opportunity to win this division. And you also have opportunity to press the reset button like how many teams have an opportunity to hit reset in the middle of the season like the new orleans saints can so it was good that they were actually out there flying around you can see a different level of confidence uh it, it's something that we have not seen uh from a new orleans saints defense all season but it, it showed up at the right time we had two sightings of people that have been phantoms all year tyron matthew played like he actually wanted to be there and made a play on the tip interception. He also made tackles, which was great to right. see. And Peyton Turner, Mr. Glass himself, was out there, got himself two sacks. Like, I, when, when I started seeing that, I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Like, this is yeah. the type of performance where you're seeing guys that have not contributed all of a sudden contributed as well. And the other thing that stood out to me yesterday, besides holding them to 183 yards, which is the lowest total for any team in the NFL this season. Mm. That Alante Taylor kid, he can flat out play, man. Like, you can tell that that right. kid, if he puts in the work, which all reports are that he is, he, he could be special for the Saints. Yeah, I mean, look, they had some unsung heroes out there. You know, they had some guys that, that really stepped up. Alante Taylor, like you just mentioned, was one of them. You know, this guy had a tall task. I mean, your first start in the NFL, you're going up against DeAndre Hopkins, who's arguably the best wide receiver in football, and then you follow that up and, oh, next week you got to go up against Devontae Adams. But this, this kid is not afraid of the moment. There was a, there was a play that he made on the sidelines. Uh, Devontae Adams missed the pass. Uh, he uh, deflected the ball. And Devontae Adams fell down to the ground. He was looking down on him. And Devontae Adams was almost taken back, like, who is this kid? But it's, it's good to see that because, you know, having that confidence, you know, that, that level, like, no matter who I'm going up against, I'm going to dominate the moment. 
So I, I love that about this kid. And, and also it seemed like it's contagious because these guys were flying around the field. This was the Tyron Matthew that everybody was excited that came to New Orleans. Like you said, he had the interception, almost had a pick six. You know, the ball just popped out of his hand. I mean, he was flying around the field as well. If you can keep this momentum going, it's going to be hard to stop the New Orleans Saints. And, and you have to say that they have the best team in the South. You could you could say that. You know, they're only a game out behind Marcus Mariota-led Atlanta, who's 4-4. Four and four. They're 3-5. and five. They're right there in the mix now. And because the NFC in general is kind of bad, I, right. I, I've been saying the word trash, but I'm trying to be more positive. <laughs> my, my, my producer told me she, I've been a little too negative lately, so I'm trying to use better better words. Uh, <laughs> but the, the the NFC is, you know, not been optimal. Let's say that. Right. Uh, they're still right there in the mix. Let's go to the offense because mm-hmm. we haven't talked enough about it, TJ. Right. It, they struggled early, but the offensive line is starting to make some real strides. You're seeing it in the last month because they've been able to run the football far more effectively. Cesar Ruiz seems like the light bulb has finally gone off. Looks like working right. with Zach Streif and Doug Marone's paying off. What do you make of what you're seeing from the O-line? They looked incredible yesterday. There was one play that Andy Dalton, he had all day <laughs> to go through his progressions two and three times to deliver the ball. Look, this offensive line is, is, is really good. I think last year, they, they really didn't play together, you know, and then all, in the offseason, uh, off they had injuries here, and, you know, they, they really didn't have an opportunity to become a cohesive unit. And I think it also is for the Saints finding their identity. You know, years past, the Saints were a, a pass-dominant team, right, because of Drew Brees and his ability to get the ball down the field. They finally realized that they are a running team. They, they can be physical. They have Taysom Hill. They have – uh, Alvin Kamara, they have Mark Ingram. I mean, they have some guys that can run that football. And I think that if you ask any offensive lineman, they'd rather run block than pass protect. So I, I like what I'm seeing out of the offensive line. Uh, you want them to be mean. You want them to be nasty. And they have been. I mean, including like Ryan Ramchick, who had the assignment of going up against Max Crosby on yesterday. And he wasn't a nine. He was a nine factor. So those are the things that you want to see from your offensive line. And that's something that you can you can build on because when it comes if you get opportunity i should say to get to the playoffs you're going to need to pack a lunch and you're gonna have to pack a real good running game and the saints have that we're talking with tj jones from the state of the saints podcast he joins us here on rp3 and company for the big easy blitz offensively i also feel like pete carmichael is growing as a play caller i think early on I don't know. It, it just didn't seem to be working with Jameis. They seemed to, to, to struggle there. Right. Once he lost Jameis in that big arm potential, and at the same time he also lost Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry, Right. he, I don't know, like a light bulb went off for Pete too because the way they're calling plays the last three games or so been far better. It's been far better. They figured out to put the ball in Alvin Kamara's hands as much as possible. You mean the best player on the team? Getting him the football makes a lot of sense. Utilizing Taysom Hill effectively. Uh, It hasn't been perfect, but it's been far better the last three or four games than it was the first three or four games. Yeah. I mean, look, anybody that don't believe these guys don't listen to the media (laughs) in some way, I think that you're just lying to yourself. A lot of the, the criticisms as fans and as you know members of the media had about this team was 
putting the ball in the hands of the playmakers. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you utilizing Kamara? Why aren't you utilizing the kid Rashid Shahid? Why are you not using Taysom Hill late in the games? And all they did all those things on yesterday. And that is going to give you that level of success. And also, you know, I know some people may not like the decision of, uh, you know, benching Jameis for Andy, but the offense just runs better with him. You know, he, he has, you know, quick decision-making skills, uh, his ability to be able to take what the defense gives him. He's not looking for the deep shots down the field. And I just think that it's a level of comfortability with P. Carmichael having Andy Dalton, you know, pulling the trigger. I think that you're seeing P. Carmichael really starting to open up this offense and, and living up to this potential. Now, people can have their arguments and their disagreements by Andy Dalton, but you, you can't argue. I mean, this guy is like up there among some of the best quarterbacks in the league when it comes to completion percentage and third down conversion rate. So that, those are the things that you need as an offense in order for you to win games. And Andy Dalton has done that. And the offense looks great right now. They're in the top five. And they're doing it without Thomas. They're doing it without mm -hmm. Landry. They've been doing it for the most part without Adam Troutman. Right. And they're finding a way to, to yep. get it done. And look, I, I want to go and just get this out of the way too. You know, mm -hmm. a, a lot of people talk about Michael Thomas not wanting to be there. I saw a guy yesterday. I was paying attention on social media. I was watching the game. And then I saw stuff from photographers as well. I see a guy pumped up cheering on his teammates on the sideline. I don't think this relationship is frayed between him and the Saints. I really don't. I think Dennis Allen and some of the other guys on the team fix that. I just worry about, is he ever going to be healthy enough to play? Like, that's the big question mark because he's a game changer for them. Even if he's only 75 or 80% of what he used to be, TJ, you have a reliable guy out there that can catch the football. And that's only going to help this offense. And that's only going to help get Alvin Kamara free in space. It's only going to continue helping the development of Chris Olave. I mean, if, it'd be great if you could add both Landry and Thomas back. Right. But yeah. just get Mike back. And I, I do worry, man, because this has been nagging. Why wasn't he put on IR? This was supposed to be like a one-week injury, yet mm -hmm. six games he's missed. I just... I worry about Thomas being able to play a full season for this team moving forward after this year. I just do. Yeah. Look, I, I understand a lot of people are worried, but, I mean, he's such an incredible talent uh, that, you know, <laughs> it, it's one of, he's one of those guys that everybody wished they had on their team. Oh, absolutely. And it, and it was also good, Ray, to actually see him on the sidelines. My, that was one of my biggest criticisms there because – when you're a star player, you're all pro, you have these young guys, they're going to be looking up to you and they're, you know, you being on the sidelines, encouraging them, maybe give them something that they probably not seeing in the game. That's that kind of stuff actually matters. But also this can, there's, there can be a silver lining to this dark cloud because like I mentioned, this, this division is so terrible that all those games that you actually, he actually missed can actually pay dividends for the saints down the line because now he's coming back. You know, he's kind of relatively fresh, even though he's been dealing with an injury. He has an opportunity to help the Saints make this run and contribute. I, I expect for him to possibly play against the Baltimore Ravens uh, coming up on Monday Night Football next week. And um, hopefully he can help, you know, assist in, in making this offense be even more uh, lethal than they have been over the last couple of weeks. I want to talk about the, the two kids from Ohio State because Pete Werner – uh, he looks like the best player on the Saints defense. 
Right. He just does, and he's only year two. And Chris Olave looks like he's been in the NFL for four years, man. Like I just, mm-hmm. it, it is amazing to me when it comes to these Ohio State guys, especially. It feels like they're the number one program in the country that prepares their guys for the NFL better than anyone else. LSU right. is probably in that mix as well, but really, Ohio State guys are just phenomenal. Are you surprised by how much, how easy it looks? for Alave in year one and for Werner in year two starting for the Saints? Yeah, I mean, everybody just thought Chris Alave was going to be that take the top off the defense deep threat. I mean, everybody fell in love with the 4-2-6 that he ran at the combine, and everybody just kind of thought that he was going to be the Saints' Devontae Hardy. Uh, but they they learned that not only is he a deep threat, but he's fundamentally sound when it comes to route running too. And it's, and it's a great advantage because – now Landry and Thomas being out, you have a guy that you can go to that can get you those yards, that can get you those catches, and you know, and capable of getting a hundred yards. Uh, Pete Warner, uh, big concern about a lot of you know what a lot of Saints fans was at the beginning of the season. Oh, he's hurt. Uh, is he going to be able to play? We got rid of Quan Alexander. I haven't heard anybody really mention Quan Alexander all year long because Pete Warner has been playing so great. I mean, he has great instincts. He flies around the field. Uh, even that interception by Tyron Matthew. I mean, he was the one that flicked it up in the air yep. for the tip drill. You know, so he's all over the field. His fingerprints is all over this defense. And honestly, as great as Demario Davis has been, like he kind of makes <laughs> Demario Davis a little bit of an afterthought because of how special uh, he has been. Uh, you have to say the future is bright for the New Orleans Saints on the offensive side of the ball with Alave and on the defense with Pete Warner. If these guys can continue the momentum then the Saints have them, themselves some cornerstone players for years to come. Let's not think about years to come. Let's focus on what's just next, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. Right. Uh, uh, the Ravens' defense is kind of hot garbage, they're, they're, it's, which is stunning to me <laughs> that I'm talking about a Ravens team and this defense isn't good. But they have one of the most electrical, uh, electrifying rather playmakers in the NFL, a guy that's a great quarterback and can also kill you with his legs, Lamar Jackson. They tailor that offense for him to his strengths. He can beat you numerous ways. The Saints defense has struggled in recent years with the mobile quarterback. How much of a challenge is the game a week from tonight? Oh, this is a huge challenge. You know, I mean, look, you struggle with like Jalen Hurts over the years and all these other guys like Kyler Murray. But, man, this guy is the, you know, the, the best RPO quarterback in the National Football League. I mean, when he gets the ball and he's down the field, he, he becomes a running back. So the Saints are going to have to uh, make sure that they neutralize him and, and make sure that he keep, you know, they keep him in a pocket. I mean, this is this is scary stuff right here. He's coming into a dome stadium. <laughs> he's not playing on grass. He's playing on turf. And he's going to be out there like it, it's going to be crazy. But the Saints are going to have to play within themselves. Uh, they have to be able to replicate this this defensive performance that they had uh, against the Raiders. Now, I'm not going to expect for them to, you know, have goose eggs every week, but I expect for them to be able to, you know, try to neutralize, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson the best way possible and uh, allow him to beat you with his arm. I'm not saying that he can't throw, but I'd rather lose to Lamar Jackson him throwing the ball than him, you know, breaking off a 72-yard run. So they're going to have to play disciplined uh, defense, and they're going to have to keep their eyes on, on number eight because, I mean, he is one heck of a weapon to have and uh, he's an extraordinary athlete. TJ, before I let you go, bud, tell the people 
where they can get your podcast and how they can follow you on social media for all the great stuff that you're doing, brother. Well, you can uh, check out the State of the Saints podcast on YouTube, youtube.com. Search the State of the Saints podcast. We're also available on all streaming networks, you know, Apple Podcasts, uh, iTunes. And also you can follow me on Twitter at TJAYJones8, uh, TJAYJones8. Ray, thank you so much for your time, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, brother. Enjoy your week, bud. All right, you too, man. Take care. That's TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast joining us there for the Big Easy Blitz. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll finalize the poll question of the day, get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, don't forget the Houston Astros are going to be heading to the city of brotherly love to take on the Philadelphia Phillies in game three of the World Series tonight. You can listen to every pitch, clutch hit, and thrilling moment of game three tonight on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Astro launch begins at 630 and first pitch is set for 703. You can listen to it all live right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. I want to take a moment to thank our guest for this Halloween edition of RP3 and Company, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio, talking all things LSU. It is Bama Week. And, of course, TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast for joining us, recapping the Saints' 24-0 win over the Las Vegas Raiders. Our special foodie poll question of the day on this Monday, typically it's Wednesdays, but this week we're having two of them because today's Halloween. What is the worst Halloween candy? The absolute worst. Winning the vote with 32%. Candy corn edges out the black and orange mystery chews, which got 29% of the vote. Circus peanuts made a strong push at the end with 26% of the vote. 13% of you said others. Thank you for all who voted on the poll question of the day. For all of you that left your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. Ton also said, ew, I found Eli candy apple in my trick-or-treat bag. <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh, what a good day. What a great way to start off the week. It's phenomenal around here. Phenomenal. For the intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos, the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.